Thank you. So my name's Justice. I'm going to be up here uh, preaching for this morning. Um, so if you don't know, I'm normally a lot quicker uh, than Pastor Mark. So if you have something in the crock pot, it might not be done when you get home. Um, sorry about that. Uh, oh, before I get started, uh, I just wanted to let you all know that after the service, Miss um, Stephanie's going to be in the back, and she has chocolates from Australia for everybody. I think they're like koalas and wallabies. There you go. There. Yeah, yeah. So make sure you pick that up on your way out. Um, all right. So uh, as I was getting ready for service, there's always like a story that pops up in my brain. So for today, I was thinking about uh, when I was a teacher— there was one thing that I was really bad at, okay? Uh, so I used to be a high school teacher a couple of years ago, um, and there were some things that I feel like I was really good at, uh, but sometimes you have to admit your weaknesses, right? Um, so let me explain kind of the gist of how the day went. So we'd come to class, I'd teach a lesson, and we'd go over everything, and uh, then I would let the kids work on whatever it is that we had just talked about. That's the normal flow of things. And whenever they got to work on their own stuff, that was always my favorite part because I started walking around and I would talk to everybody. Um, and honestly, it was like 50-50 if it was on topic, right? Like we would, sometimes I'd talk and help with the lesson, but sometimes I would just talk and learn who they were and get to know them and laugh. And um, that's, that's not the weakness and that's the good thing. Uh, um, so that's normally considered good because you get to know who your uh, students are. Um, and so the thing is that I would always be really focused on what I was doing. And so what I'm talking about is whenever I'm talking to someone, that's pretty much what I'm focused on. And that's, and this is throughout my whole life, but especially when teaching, I would be talking to whoever and I'd be paying attention. And if you're in this direction in front of me, good to go. All right. But if you were not in my general like view, then I didn't really know what was going on. And that is not good as a teacher, right? Because we all grew up and we had those teachers that had the eyes in the back of their head and like they knew as soon as like a, the bad kid was up to something, they'd turn around and catch them. And I did not have that skill. That was not me. And it led to some pretty like silly things happening sometimes. Um, apparently, and I, I don't know if I believe this, but apparently a student ate like a whole Chinese like combo platter one day while I, in class and I didn't even know. Um, <laughs> And I, didn't, I guess I didn't smell it at all. I, I don't know how that happened. Um, and then I have tons and tons of videos and selfies on my phone because if I was looking away from my desk, again, I, I don't know what they're doing back there. And they, you know, snap pictures all the time. And then there was one day, um, apparently, a student um, spent the whole class period in the closet. Uh, he, I don't know how it happened. I guess I turned this way. He got in the closet and came out at the end of class. And it, it got spread around the school because, you know, Snapchat nowadays, you know, and everybody was asking me about, hey, you know, and I was, I don't know. So, but, so whenever I'm focused on something, that's how it is. And even like at church, you know, like I've missed handshakes. I've missed people talking to me because if I'm doing something, that's what I'm focused on, right? So if that's happened to you, I apologize. I'm working on it. I promise. Um, but today, the reason that came up is because today we're going to look at a story, uh, some scripture, where Jesus is talking about a guy who is singularly focused on something that's not so great and how that can lead you away from the life that God intended. Um, 
And so sometimes it's not good to have that singular focus. But, uh, so let's take a look. If you will, open up to Luke chapter 12. Here, I'm going to put this over here. So we're in Luke chapter 12 today. We're going to be in verses 13 through 21. Um, and I don't know what page that is. I was supposed to look. I'm sorry. 1108. All right. It's 1108 in the red uh, pew Bible. But so I'm going to read through it real quick. So this is Luke 12, 13 through 21. And it starts with, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here, let's pray real quick before we keep going. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we have to be here and to look into your word. I pray that you would um, be with us as we look at this and that we would grasp all the truth that we can from it and that we would understand it fully and that we would be able to um, see how it can in, uh, affect our lives and influence our lives um, and just be with us and help us as we are going through this to glorify you. And we love you so much. Amen. All right. So we're starting in verse 13 and it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So what's happening is we're actually kind of picking up the story right in the middle of a scenario here. So at the beginning of chapter 12, we see that Jesus was being surrounded by thousands of people, and so he starts to teach. That's what he was doing. And it says that he was talking to his disciples. And it wasn't just the 12 disciples that we normally think of whenever we say he's teaching to his disciples. It was anybody who was following him who was trying to learn and live the way that he was talking about. And so in the middle of him talking, uh, we're picking up where a, where a guy has the courage to interrupt Jesus, all right? But we see that he's not just being interrupted like normal. It would be one thing if he was stopping the teaching to ask a relevant question or something of importance. But look at what he's saying. He wants his brother to divide the inheritance with him. This is nowhere even remotely on topic for what Jesus was doing. This is clearly a self-centered question that this guy has been thinking about and obsessing over. And so first, we might think that this looks a little strange and random to like to bring to Jesus. But at this point, Jesus was considered a teacher or a rabbi in this society. And so rabbis were considered to have the ability to render a judgment in ethical matters because they knew the law. They knew that the law that God had given them. So that's what this man was doing. He wanted Jesus to settle a dispute. This man didn't care about the spiritual truths Jesus was teaching, and he was eager only to fill his selfish desires. He was driven by his materialism and growing tired of waiting for Jesus to be done, and so he interrupted him. All right, and so then we can look and see how Jesus answered. In 14 and 15, it says, uh, But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? 
And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. All right. And so this is one of the times in the Bible where I feel like we can really see Jesus' personality come through. A lot of times we think of Jesus as this like general, vague, perfect person. And don't get me wrong, he was 100% perfect. But in our thinking, sometimes we forget that Jesus was human, that he was here on earth and he had a personality. Like imagine that for a second. He was a person in front of you who would laugh and actually do things. He had a personality just like the rest of us. And a lot of times in the Gospels, I don't, know, I don't know how it's to word this, other than to say, we see that Jesus has a little bit of sass, all right? He really does, because that's what we see right here. He's like, man, I don't know you. What do you expect me to do? He says, who expect, like, you expect me to be judge and arbitrator? I don't know you, all right? And so we see that sass, and it comes through sometimes in the Gospel. Um, but here's what I really love about how Jesus handles this situation, I love that he chooses not to answer the question, but he addresses the underlying issue. So he seizes this opportunity that's offered by this man's request to teach a lesson. And I love that because Jesus shows that we can have personality, but handle a situation in a graceful manner, right? Because let's be honest, if something like that happened to us, a lot of times we don't handle it well, all right? I remember, again, as a teacher, I'd remember getting interrupted all the time, and I'd get random questions. And I'm sure sometimes I handled it in the right way, but I know for a fact sometimes I would just look at that kid like, what are you doing right now? Like, what? And so Jesus shows that there's a good way to handle this type of thing. So he takes this selfish, wild interruption, and he takes the opportunity to teach. And he says, take care be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He understands that the underlying issue here is more than just wanting inheritance. So this guy, probably uh, a lot of scholars uh, say that this is probably a guy who had a brother, and they both had an inheritance, and he wanted him to split it because he wanted it and it was his, okay? Um, he understands that that's not the underlying issue here. The underlying issue is about greed and covetousness, that desire to have or want the wealth or possessions of other people. And, some, and that is something that is incredibly relevant for our culture today, right? I think we can all agree that in America today, there's a lot of emphasis on money and just getting more. Whatever it is, get more of it. You see something that someone has, you want it. Cars, phones, houses, small things cl like clothes, small, uh, uh, sorry, clothes, shoes, guitars, sports equipment, all of that is what our American minds are built upon. Like any commercials, any shows, that's what we see. And here is Jesus in this situation. He says, take guard. He doesn't say, watch out. He doesn't tell us that this might be something that pops up. He says, take guard. As in, there is an enemy coming and you need to be paying attention. You need to be on the ready because our lives are not made important by having things. And we can take a look in Ecclesiastes, and this is supported as well. Um, in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So if you were in Troy's Sunday school class, y'all probably went over that a lot more than what I'm about to do. But Jesus was leaning into what was said right here. The love of money does not lead to satisfaction. And if we love wealth, our income will never be enough. We will always be let down. These are not the things that are important. 
That's what Jesus was taking the time to tell his audience. And is it true that we need a minimum of material goods that are necessity for life? Yes. But it is not true that an abundance of goods means a greater abundance of life. And that's what he's trying to get to, right? Um, and we hear that, in fact, when we hear, when we hear that truth from Jesus, it's really easy for us to agree, all right? We see the logic in that most of the time. Whenever somebody says, good material things don't bring you happiness, we see the logic. But it's when we get in the weeds of life and start dealing with actual people and actual situations that we can get distracted like this man was here, the man that interrupted Jesus. We can get distracted like that. So the self-centered cry for justice is understood by Jesus as a symptom of sickness. And so he refuses to answer that cry. He doesn't actually talk about the inheritance that the man asked about. Rather, Jesus addresses himself to the healing of the sickness that produced that cry. And Jesus moves on to tell a parable to talk about that more. All right? And so I'm just going to rehash that uh, parable real quick. He says that the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And what does he do? He says, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So first, it's important to recognize at the beginning of this parable, it starts off that we're talking about a rich man. That's his starting position. We know he's not struggling, he's not poor, or trying to figure things out. He's rich, okay? And now, not only is he rich, his land has produced plentifully. He has an overabundance. And that's referred, if you're a farmer, you might already know this. I did not, but that's referred to as a bumper crop. And so it's giving him extra, right? And farmers are dependent for their success on circumstances and factors beyond their control which means they should be most grateful to God for his providential control over everything. This abundance was a blessing from God. The farmer didn't control the weather. He didn't control how well the plants produced. So at this point, we realize that he has an unearned surplus. This was not something he earned, right? And at this point, there's nothing wrong with what the, what the farmer has done. Just in the first verse. Verse 16, he hasn't done anything wrong yet. He um. But as soon as we move to the next verse, we see that it all goes downhill from there, right? So then the rich farmer starts to think to himself. And he says, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And so he creates this problem that he has to deal with. And what we see here, what I like to word this as, is that there's no recognition. The farmer first doesn't recognize that there's an abundance or a surplus. And more importantly, he doesn't recognize that this is a blessing from God. And so that's the first lesson we can grab from the farmer. All the problems that follow from this point on start with the fact that there's no recognition, okay? And what I mean by that is he didn't take the time to really see and understand what was happening. He was too busy thinking about himself to stop and recognize what was really going on. And at, at this point, if the farmer had said, hey, this is a blessing that God has given me, then that would have been the end of the parable. But Jesus understood our human nature, our sinful nature. When we are left to our own devices, that is not our first reaction, not without the Holy Spirit at least. I think that we can slow down and really be intentional about living our lives the way that God intended and the, that the Holy Spirit is leading us, and that when we do that, we'll be quicker to recognize that hand that God is playing in our lives, 
from big things to small, we can start to understand that God is sovereign over everything that we have. And this leads to the next item that we can see about this rich man. So in verse, uh, starting in verse 17, it says that he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. So, uh, oh, sorry. There's, uh, he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So I have a quick, quick assignment for you real quick. If you're looking at your Bible, in verses 17 through 19, there's one word that is repeated five times. Can you see if you can grab that word real quick and just shout it out? Anybody? My, yes, this guy, this guy. He says, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. Man, this guy is so self-centered. He thinks everything he has is about himself. He thinks everything is his. But Colossians 1.16, if, if we look at that real quick, it says, For by him all things were created, talking about God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He talks about stuff like it's his. This farmer talks about the crops and everything like it's his. There's no consideration for anything other than himself. He's so self-centered. He's going to tear down his barns and build new ones just to hold his stuff. Like, dude, how much work is it to tear down a whole barn and then build a new one? This is so much work. And through all his thinking, no other option pops up. He just thinks about himself. How hard is it to tear? I'm just thinking about the work I've done to tear down a barn and build a new one. If, and John, uh, 1 John 3.17, it says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This man does not have God's love abiding in him. Our move when we see something like this is to immediately look and see who we can help. Who can we open our hearts to and show God's love? When we have that surplus, when we have that extra it shouldn't be self-centered. It shouldn't be self-focused. We should be looking to help others, just like First John says. And to keep this mindset, we have to understand that things we have are not ours. Everything on earth belongs to God. His crops, his fields, his barns. Even more than that, his money, think about us and our lives. It's his money. It's his house, his car, his income. Is that how we think about the stuff in our lives? Are we like the rich farmer? Or do we stop and recognize that God has done this in our lives and that it's his, right? So that's such an important way to change the way that we're thinking. I said it this morning in Sunday school. A lot of times whenever, anytime I'm teaching, I'm really focused on just how we're thinking because we can, it can look like we're doing the wrong thing, but we can be motivated by the wrong way. And so we need to be thinking about how we are viewing what's in our lives, right? And so other than that, there's something else important to notice how the farmer was going about the situation. And this may be something that in our present day culture might not be as easy to grab onto as the people in Jesus' audience, but think about who this man is talking to. All throughout this parable, he's only talking to himself. And in that culture, or sorry, in this culture, that may be seen as something strange because there was such an emphasis on community. There was always community around to live life with, 
especially a rich man. The cultural norm would have been to be in town, talking with others, talking with other men. It would have been very normal for a man of his status to like be sitting at the city gates and talking with other men and spending time with them. That's how things were done there. And so the fact that he is only talking to himself should be, it would be a little bit strange to somebody who's listening in that culture. But here he is ignoring the community that he was expected to be a part of. And so just to emphasize that, I think about the story of the prodigal son, all right? Whenever the prodigal son comes back, the father immediately celebrates with his community, right? And also think about another parable that Jesus said, um, talked about the shepherd that lost his sheep, all right? That parable, whenever he found his sheep and he came back, he celebrated with community, all right? That was the norm. So those stories stand out in stark contrast to what's happening here with this farmer, this rich man, all right? He's celebrating with his community about the abundance that's he, that they're experiencing. He isn't talking to others about what he should or what he should be doing or allowing other voices to guide him and give wisdom in this situation. There is no community around because he's left to his own devices and no one other than himself is on his mind. He's led to keep everything for himself. And as he's doing this, his last statement really hammers home what his main focus was. In verse 19, it says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He thinks, I've finally gotten where I need to be. And that exemplifies his focus, to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And is there anything else you've heard in the Bible more that exemplifies our culture today than that statement right there? Is that not what we are trained to do and trained to have our goal be from the time we set foot into school? It's ingrained in everything we do. Our goal is to work, 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 and work for ourselves so that we can just be happy and do whatever we want. That is what we have here in our culture. And we have to be willing to understand and take the time to recognize what is happening in our lives. We cannot be so self-focused. We cannot focus on these materialistic things so much that our minds are solely focused on getting more and more and more. All right? And what happens next is why we can't let that happen. In this parable, God speaks audibly to this farmer. And he says, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? All right. The word translated a fool here is, I think it's pronounced aphron, but it's a Greek word. And this is the harshest word for fool that they have, and it means completely without mind. So everything this rich man has done, the Lord himself is calling completely without mind. God is saying, you're dying today, and now look at all that wasted effort you put in. Who is going to be merry and happy with all this stuff now? And here's something to notice. A lot of times in the Bible, it's helpful to see what's not said. God doesn't accuse this man, and he doesn't question this man on what or why he has done. He just thunders down and calls him a fool. That is so harsh. And it's important to notice because that should mean something to us, right? And here's my question. Is that the type of comment that our lives would demand from Jesus or from God as well? Is that the type of comment that God would look at our lives and say? We have to see that Jesus is bringing this idea of how the rich man thought he had all this time to enjoy everything he had worked for. He thought everything he had was his, his crops, his barn, his life. Even his soul was his to control and do with what he pleases. 
But Jesus is saying that we're fooling ourselves if we think we're in charge of what's going on. In James, the same idea is portrayed. And Pastor Mark's probably going to get there really soon. It's in James chapter 4, and verses uh, 13 through 15. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James supports this exact understanding that Jesus is talking about. We can make all these plans. We can go to this town or that town and make profit on doing this or that. But he says, what is this life? We are a mist. We never know what's going to happen. James tells us the correct way to think. If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. In our lives, think about us. Again, we're always bringing it back to examining ourselves. How much differently would we handle things if that was the overarching perspective that we kept on things? If the Lord wills. That thought would probably stop a lot of the misleading things that we do. If, we, if our first thought was to think, if the Lord wills, then we, would, we wouldn't make those decisions that drag us away from what God wants. We would be much more willing and it would be much easier to be led by the Holy Spirit to do the right thing if that was our first thought. All right? And look at the last thing that Jesus says in our passage. Verse 21, it says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So Jesus is telling us the application of the parable that he's just given. When we store up treasure for ourselves and focus on ourselves without any consideration for others and ignore the God of creation and that he created everything and it all belongs to him, we are just like the rich man who was a fool. When we get stuck in that idea of getting more and more with, uh, and depending on that to make us happy, we're being just like that. But also, Jesus tells us the antidote to this, right? He tells us what's wrong, and then he tells us how to fix it. It's only a few words, and it's only half a sentence, but Jesus tells us how to correct this in that last part, and it says, and it's not rich toward God. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? It means to treasure what God treasures. My relationship with him and others, lost souls, love and compassion, um, compassion for those people who are hurting, to be rich toward God is to be rich in good deeds, rich in generosity, rich in relationships. The antidote to the foolishness, the antidote to the sinful, materialistic greed is to use what God has given us for his glory and the benefit of others. All right, so my challenge for us today is how we apply this to our own lives. Remember, this passage started with Jesus being interrupted while he was teaching by someone who, who was just obsessed over a situation with money, his inheritance, his possessions. And Jesus tells this parable to show and address the underlying issue, right? He tells this parable to show that when we are focused on all things that we have in this life, we are just being fools. There are so many places in this parable where we can check our own perceptions and make sure that we're not falling into the same trap as the rich man. Are we recognizing the blessing in our lives? Are we focused on me and my stuff and on my life and what I can do? Are we blindly storing up things for ourselves without any consideration for others? And listen, it's so easy to hear these questions and kind of dismiss them. We don't feel rich a lot of times, right? We tell people that we're blessed when they ask us, or we give money when people need help, and all those are great things. But I would really push back and ask ourselves, where's our mindset when we do those? 
this issue is not just seen in our actions, but it's in our mindset, in our perspective. It's something that people can't see. If somebody just looks at you, your actions could be showing good things, but only you really know where your heart's at when you're doing these things. So do we consider everything as ours? Do we always think and take care of ourselves first and foremost? If we stand before God with that mindset, we would feel comfortable saying, or sorry, would we feel comfortable saying that we are being rich toward God, what God wants? And as I finish up real quick, um, does that reflect that we treasure what God treasures? Do our lives reflect one that is focused more on possessions and other, uh, having things? Or are we re- reflecting and seeing that our lives are focused on having treasures that God thinks are our treasures as well? Are we living our lives focused on that? And so there, there's two lessons that we can learn here. There's that, that face value lesson that Jesus tells us about materialistic things, which is 100% important for us to grasp. There's also that second underlying issue where we have to deal with our mindset and with our greed and with what we are thinking about whenever we are taking actions to do good deeds that God wants us to do. So, well, that's what I have this morning. I'll pray real quick and we'll keep going. But I really, really challenge us as we move on through this week and just moving forward with our lives, thinking about where's our heart at as we keep moving. So, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this parable that you provided to us to teach us this lesson. I pray that we would live lives that we would not want to be looked down on and be called fool by God because we are so focused on ourselves and what we have and what we're doing. I pray that you would uh, be in our lives and that we would be willing to be led by the Holy Spirit and that we would be pushed to think of others and be compassionate and live a life that's worthy of your name, God. I pray that you would be with us and help us uh, to shine your light to the other people around us, that we would be that salt in the world as we go through uh, out lives, our lives and do things. Uh, be with us this morning, and we just praise you and glorify you for everything that you've done. And we love you so much. Amen.